0: Mm. So,
1: I'm but I like that. I'm like,
0: yeah, if you've already been questioning and researching the, and reading it, I'm like,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Like well, see, I'm not
0: anti-vaccine, but yes. I have okay. questions okay.
2: I've some best. See, I know you do that. Oh, yeah. Yes,
1: everyone has to get this. Anything in brackets is a measure. Oh, absolutely. But now, fire.
0: I've so been doing their job for
1: 20 years, yeah. so I do slash, you know
0: what well I mean? And I'm telling so people they can't support their that. families and all that. my point is to go to school, 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 my
2: child is. now has to have it like, like 20 25 20 vaccines. One
3: and three, usually. Yeah, usually. Yeah, I've time. 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 yeah,
2: I've seen that. Like that's one and three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got it. We've got when I was a kid, I think I had 12. a little different, probably right here. So it's like a little bad.
0: With including, sure, sure.
1: Fall kickoff is today. It's out on the patio and front lawn, um, and it's gonna be a great time. We have hot food ready for you, individually packaged. Uh, There's live music, there's activities for kids, actually activities for people of all ages, um, even a few competitions. This is a great time to come meet a new friend um, and chat with an old friend too. See you out there. Another event coming up is the Youth Barbecue and Tournament. It's on Saturday, September 25th from 11 to 2 p.m. This will be a great time to have a burger and engage in some friendly competition. And it's not just open to our youth group, it's open to the community. So if you know a young person, a friend, a family member, neighbor, um, be sure to invite them. And don't forget to invite a friend. We've got invitations out on the patio. You can take a stack and invite friends and family.
0: Good morning, everyone. And welcome to La Jolla Community Church. God bless you all. Let's stand and worship God this morning. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe display. Then sings my soul, my Savior to be I- But i God, I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me, and all my days I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until i lay my head i will sing of the goodness of god cause all my life you have Of the goodness of God, yes. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire, and in darkest nights, you are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend, and I have in the goodness of God Mm -hmm. because all my life you have been faithful thank you Jesus and all my life you have been so
2: Heavenly Father, we call upon your name because we know that you are a God who hears. We know that you are a God who cares, and we know a God, that you are a God whose very presence brings grace to our everyday. We thank you for being the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings, and the creator of all things. Thank you for the great love and blessing over our lives. Thank you for the favor that you give us and that it has no end, lasting our entire lifetime. Forgive us for sometimes forgetting that you are intimately acquainted with all of our ways, that you know what concerns us, and that you arm us with the shield of faith. And thank you, Lord, for the sword of the spirit and the full armor of God. Dear Lord, it seems as if in these past few weeks so much has been happening in our world, in our nation, in our personal lives. We ask for mercy for everyone who has been affected by Hurricane Ida, from Louisiana to Jersey, New York City, and every inch that that storm touched. We pray for those who lost farms, businesses, homes, even loved ones. We pray for strength, for the ones checking in on their neighbors, for the public servants who rescued others, and for all those who are doing their best to get people home safe and sound, with infrastructure to support in a sense, a sense of safety for their souls, And Father, as California continues to battle some of the most disastrous fires in recent times, we continue to thank you for the men and women who have raised up to serve and work in the most dangerous circumstances. We pray for the believers among those first responders, for those who belong to you that now find themselves on the front lines of danger and risk. May they take heart and lean on faith knowing that the God who created all life, who holds this world and its suffering and joy in his hands, that this same God lives and dwells in them and that he will provide God-sized courage and strength when they need it most. We pray with all of our hearts and minds for the people of Afghanistan, be living bread to those who are hungry each day be healing and wholeness to those who have no access to healthcare amidst the ravages of this pandemic. And be peace to those engaged in armed conflict and those who live within its shadow. Dear Asaba Father, we lastly come to you to pray for all those affected by the events of 9 11 20 years ago yesterday. Yesterday's date, 9 11, carries a heavy burden of memory, and it's right that it should not pass from our memory. But today, and in this prayer, along with all our remembrance of profound loss, it is also right that we give voice to our deep longing for peace among all God's children, rooted in faith, hope, and love. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well,
1: you may be seated. Thank you so much, La Jolla Community Church. God is really great, isn't he? Amen, amen. One of the absolute things that I love about being a part of this church, about being a member of our family, is the opportunity that no matter what kind of a week you've had, no matter what life has thrown at you, we've got Sunday where we can come together as a family and worship the Lord in the house of God. Isn't that wonderful? Well, thank you so much for joining us. My name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the Director of Student Ministries here at La Jolla Community Church, and I'm so excited to welcome everybody here to our church this Sunday. A few quick announcements as we get things started. You may have noticed a beautiful, wonderful spread out on the lawn as you came in. Thanks to some of our wonderful facilities team, we have put together our annual fall kickoff. We are so excited to celebrate the fall season and everything that is going on here at La Jolla Community Church with you. So we would love to see you immediately after the service, please make your way out onto the lawn. We'll have food, drinks, activities, lots of fun stuff going on. So please, please, please make your way over there after the service, and we would love to celebrate that with you. On your way in, you should have received a little booklet that lets you know about some of the cool things going on here at La Jolla Community Church. This has been designed by our awesome, awesome um, media arts director, Josh. He's a super great guy. But on that, if you notice on the lower half, there's a place where you can come and fill out your Connect information. We here at La Jolla Community Church want to get you plugged in and involved in a ministry going on here at church. If you've got something that God has put on your heart that you would love to be a part of, please fill out that Connect card. Let us know how we can plug you in and get you involved here at church. On the flip side of that, we at La Jolla Community Church believe in the power of prayer. One of my favorite things that I get to do every single week is pray individually over every single prayer request that gets turned in here at church. We are a church that believes in the power of prayer, that believes in lifting each other up, encouraging each other. So if you've got something difficult going on in your life, something where you're like, God, I do not know where the strength for this is going to come from, I do not know where the finances for this is going to come from, God, I need your help. Take a moment, fill that out. If you've got something glorious and great going on in your life, please take a few minutes, let us know how we can pray for you. And then these wonderful little cards tear right in half. There's a perforation in the middle. Boop, that will rip right in half. I would love for you to take this top half home, invite somebody to church, hand it out to a neighbor, whatever you would like to do. The one thing I don't ask is don't leave it in the trash can here. Take it home, give it to somebody that you care about, let them know what's going on here at church, and then you can drop off your little prayer and connect card in the baskets along with your offering. They're mounted on the walls in the church and in the Welcome Center on your way out. Thank you so much to those of us who are joining us online. We absolutely love that you've tuned in to our service here at Faith Community Church, or La Jolla Community Church. Sorry, whoa, brain fart there. Uh, and with that, I would love to invite Pastor Steve up to lead us in a message. Thank you so much
3: thanks Ryan. oh gosh uh first of all denine where where's denine Thank you. That was just so moving and uh powerful. thank you uh for the worship band and uh Jeff, thank you for that prayer and uh, i've been following as you do you know all the anniversary of nine eleven uh stuff. But just having you pray about it again uh, was very powerful. That was uh, uh, Where were you? I was walking on the beach down to La Jolla Shores at about 7 a.m. And a former military officer, business guy in lawyer came toward me and David Rule. We were together walking on the beach. And Dan Murphy said, have you guys heard the news? Well, 7 a.m., no. What? He told us. And we were just shocked, of course. And so were you, wherever you were. Maybe you are a little kid. Um... You know maybe you were in the military, some of you I know were um, but it's one of those things that puts us uh puts things in perspective and we we, we um we started hosting worship services immediately following nine eleven and they were packed you can imagine and the thing that hit me was why is it that we turn to God at the times when we are least prepared in a sense? And this is why we do what we do as a church. We want to call people together every week throughout the week, not just to attend church, but to enter into a fellowship uh, that prepares us to not only be ministered to when the defecation hits the ventilation, but to allow us to be ministers of God's grace, to be able to say, I'm grieving, but how can I help you in your grief? And this is where we don't want to ever be caught flat-footed again. I don't mean by just a, an invasion on our nation. What I mean is that we are not prepared to minister God's grace to people who have no categories for the, the chaos that they're in. We live in a world that assumes everything is going to be just fine. If it's not. If I work a little harder or the government gets it together, it will be better. Uh, but life keeps breaking into those illusions and, and, and puts us back to ground zero, literally, to say, you know... I can't assume anything other than than I am loved by God and God is with me at all times, no matter what. So this is not a doomsday view. It's a hopeful, uh, there's a resurrection uh, that I get to keep looking at. That's my hope, is the resurrection of Jesus that allows me to stare down terror and evil in the face and say, you will not prevail. And so this is why we gather. So it's back to school for all these kids, like. Uh, how was going to school for you? Did, you? did you enjoy going to school? I won't ask for a show of hands. I can already see it on your faces. Um, school, it's a mixed blessing. It's a mixed bag. Uh, I remember going into first grade uh, in England, and there, uh, my mom, um, you know, in her 20s at the time, uh, faces the teacher, and they stop, and they look at each other, and they start talking, and next thing, they're hugging. And I'm thinking, this is England. This does not happen. People don't hug each other, having just met in England. Well, it turns out it was my mom's first grade teacher also. So I would thought, okay, I'm totally in, except for then she turned out to be a serious teacher. And I was just, you know, reminded that I'm just like I, I was here to teach your mother, I'm here to teach you. And it was actually, actually a fantastic experience. It was a great introduction to school. Uh, going into a class where there was continuity This teacher knew what she had produced and wanted to keep producing that. Uh, I think I told you about, some of you heard me talk about getting, um, uh, uh, finding in a stack of old papers my second grade report card uh, from Sister Mary, what's her name? I can't remember her name now, but I knew it had Mary in it somewhere. And she said, Stephen is a good student. He just does not take life seriously enough. And I thought, wow, second grade. <laughs> I do not take life seriously enough in second grade. You know, there's no hope for that kid. We want to we beat the life out of every kid when they come to school so that they have no joy in showing up. They don't want to let that leak out in any way, right? Think of your favorite teachers. Didn't they just make you want to come to school? You could hardly wait to get to school or at least to that class if you had, you know, by the time you're old enough to have several classes. You just knew that, that shock was where it was happening. Because you just got to talk about real stuff in shop, wood shop, electric shop, auto shop, any of those shop classes that don't exist anymore. And all of a sudden you realize, man, that's awesome. They made, they made us go to shop classes. And I'm so glad they did because without this finger, I've been able to get so much sympathy. Uh, no, but you know, you learn stuff you didn't actually think you'd ever have to, to know. And like who to call when the plumbing goes out because you certainly can't figure it out right of yourself. Uh, my, and I think about all the fun teachers I had, uh, uh, that's, that's the psychological thing of shutting out all the lousy teachers I had. But one of the most uh, memorable teachers I had was a guy named Mr. McGuire. And Mr. McGuire was like, at the time, he seemed to be about nine feet tall. And I was uh, a senior in high school, and he, had the, he was like the biggest guy with the deepest voice and knew everything. He'd been a Marine Corps officer, uh, and he looked like it. And yet, he was the smartest guy I had ever encountered. He knew everything. Why? Because this was a speech class. And I was mortified about giving a speech. I would have rather slit my wrists literally at the time than, than take a speech class. The idea of getting up and talking in front of people was so far beyond my comfort level. And I just said, hey, you know, I have to take this class, but I'm telling you, I'm here under protest and duress. In his deep, booming voice, he basically said, well, you know what? I think I have an answer for that. I'm going to help you find your voice and tell your story. Like, and every kid uh, in that class, when they got up to do a speech, Mr. McGuire, first of all, demonstrated in the most subtle way—not in a dominating way—that he knew ten times more than that kid had just said, and used all that knowledge to draw more out of that kid, to compliment that kid, to encourage that kid, to make some connections. To say, look at what you got me thinking about. I just thought about this, this, and this based on what you... And all of a sudden, the room was alive. People couldn't wait to get there. It was such an incredibly inspiring class. Uh, especially, given at the time I had some, some classes that were not inspiring. In fact, were quite frustrating. How about you? Who are the teachers that come to mind? It wasn't just style or personality or knowledge that captured you. Captured your heart and your mind. That coach who just seemed to call more out of you than you thought you had that person who made it feel okay to participate in class, to be wrong when you so desperately wanted to be right. Uh, It wasn't just that. It's that they made you a partner in the process. And you might think that was absurd because I went to a school that was very hierarchical and they were in charge and they told you what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Right. But really what was going on is they had to have you as their partner or nothing would happen. They had to conscript you to be their partner. A coach can't get on the field or on the court on the mat, the coach can only prepare you. And so they are your best partner and you are theirs because they wouldn't have a job but for you if you're the student, right? And when you see a school that really gets partnership, they're not placating kids. It's not, oh, whatever you want to do is fine. They they don't indulge kids. They draw them out in ways that require big discipline, hard work, but every kid says, I want to rise to the occasion. Probably the greatest coach in American history, uh, I know there's a lot of them, um, but it'd be John Wooden. Uh, from UCLA. I just saw some people in just came out with a book about him. Former players who said, everything changed with John Wooden. And John Wooden uh, was that coach who started every year by going, let me tell you how to put on your socks and your shoes. Like what? Let me show you how to properly tie your shoes. And then this is a basketball. And he wasn't a dominating person physically. He was just this guy that knew you inside out, apparently. And and I've talked personally to several players who wanted to play in the NBA who played with him and said, he just somehow pulled you into his orbit and became the dad you always wish you had, the friend you you hoped to have, the coach you desperately needed. And and he he basically said uh, later in his life, it was never about basketball. It was about developing people. Uh, I love what he said about teaching. Uh, he said this. Uh, you haven't taught until they have learned. You haven't taught until they have learned. You know, that's Hebraic. Uh, because the, the Hebrew for learning uh, is basically what we would consider a substandard English. A great teacher would say, I learned you. I learned you. Not that I taught you, is that? Learning is used in this really interesting way. I learn and I learned you. So it's really deep in the sense you think about it. I learned who you are. I know your style of learning. I know how to best reach you. If it's, Is it visual? Is it auditory? Is it tactile? But I have a lot of content I want to give you and I want to figure out the best way to put it in your hands, in your head, in your heart. And for some kids, it's, it's, a, it's a little look and they feel crushed that they let you down. Other kids, you have to pound them verbally to say do you understand what's going on here Uh, and so this is the power of a great teacher is that they make you their partner not because their job depends on it but because your life depends on it they know that you're going to have a lot of other teachers who aren't going to give you much for all kinds of reasons but they want to give you something that you can build on for the rest of your life powerful 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 after his first day of school, Billy's mom asked him, well, son, uh, what did you learn today? And the kid goes, mom, I don't think I learned very much because he told me I have to come back tomorrow. <laughs> do, do you ever wonder why you come back to church? I think I learned enough. I don't, why would I have to do this? I, I, I've been to 90 Christmases or however old you are today. Uh, I've been to 10 Christmases. I've been to four Easter services. I, I know the prayer. Um, there are people walking around who say, I haven't been to church in 60 years, and they could have said the Lord's Prayer with Jeff. Do you ever wonder why we keep coming back to church? Can you articulate the purpose, the plan God has in mind for his church? Why? The few few times I went to Catholic church and Protestant church as a kid, I I, I couldn't stand it. It was just so boring. It was just so irrelevant to me. Um, And thankfully, my parents were always fighting about going to church, so eventually we didn't have to go at all. And then growing up, I thought, why would anybody waste the time to go to church? And then when I became a follower of Jesus, I, I couldn't stay away. I couldn't get enough because every time I went there, they were teaching me things that were practical and useful in my life. They were giving me a larger perspective from which to see my life and understand my life and to pursue my life. And along the way, people came out of the woodwork and said, hey, can I help you with that? Hey, let's get together uh, for breakfast. Let's get together for lunch. Let's get a cup of coffee. I didn't even drink coffee, and I'd meet with people for coffee just because these people were saying, hey, let's, let's talk about what you're learning. It was so powerful. It was like Mr. McGuire all over again. It was like having your own personal John Wooden saying, how's life? How are these pieces and those bits and those parts coming together? I know it's confusing well, the names and the places in the Bible, but what's the story you're hearing? Uh, what's the narrative that God is shaping in you by, by virtue of you being in school with Jesus? It was transformational. Can you articulate the purpose and the plan God has in mind for his church? Why church? If somebody asked you that question, you hey, where were you today? I was at church. Why? Why? And would you fumble for an answer? I don't know. It's just habit. I feel like if I don't, God's going to whack me. My parents make me. I don't know. What would you say? You say, because I feel alive. I might not feel alive while I'm there or on my way there. But as I go through my week, I realize, wow, so God did something on that day through all the different parts. can't quite define what, which one was which, but together, all of it somehow is making a difference in me. Have you ever not wanted to go to your life group and then having gone, you said, thank God I came to this life group? Of course you have. See, we believe that God wants to teach us everything we need to thrive and grow. That's the whole point. Why church? Because God wants us to thrive and grow. Not in a building, under a program, through a service. But a building and a program and a service and the people all connect into us learning how to thrive and grow. Do you see the church, our congregation, as a dynamic learning community? This is discipleship training school. This is Jesus school. Well, no, it's a church. It's a church service. Right, but we're a learning community. That's the whole point. Well, we come to worship God, that's not really learning. Yeah, it is, because in the larger context of worship, it means I want to be present to God in the, with other people to receive what God wants to give me. And God is such a creative instructor. He delivers it through all kinds of creative things, music, lyrics, prayers, sermons, conversations in between things, two-minute conversations on the patio on the way to the car or the way in from the car. All of a sudden, maybe it can be catalytic, and you don't even know it till later. I can't tell you how many times, uh, and f- fun times, I'm standing out here, and either it's a young guy who's temporarily at Coronado, and they'll say, Oh my gosh, I've seen that guy. I've seen that guy at Special Warfare. And he's walking toward us. What should I do? I don't know. Give him a hug. I don't know. What, what, whatever you feel like doing. And this person says, How can I possibly talk to the senior officer who I, makes me shiver? Right now I'm shivering, thinking <laughs> of seeing this guy. Well, I'll introduce you to this guy and see how that goes. And all of a sudden, the guy realizes, this guy's a follower of Jesus. I want to know this guy. I was standing out here one time, talked to a young guy uh, just out of UCSD, working in his first job, has big dreams of what he wants to do. And I said, what do you want to do? He said, oh, I want to do this, this, this. And he looks across the courtyard near the patio. He goes, gosh, that looks like one of the guys I, I, I want to meet someday and emulate. I said, what's the guy's name? And He tells me the guy's name. I said, that is him. Do you want to meet him? He said, <laughs> I don't know. So he's coming his way. So, you know, and the, and the guy said, Hey, anything I do to help you, let me know. And the guy's like, I can't believe this. What's going on there? It's a learning community. Iron sharpens iron. We want to help people grow. It happens in community, it happens in those little touch points. It happens in the long service. It happens in the regular life group. It happens on those mission trips. You're on a build. You're painting. your umpteenth habitat house. You're building it, the umpteenth house in Mexico. You think, I don't know why I'm doing this. It takes a lot of time, and effort. and I got things I should be doing. I hate waiting at the border. I hate, you know, whatever it is you're complaining about. And all of a sudden you realize, somehow I feel more alive when I'm doing this. What am I complaining and whining about? And I'm not even doing it just to feel good. I'm doing it for the right reasons. And yet, I feel alive. Ooh, that's what thriving and growing feels like and looks like. So if you don't see church, uh, and our congregation is a dynamic learning community, you're not seeing it. You're just not seeing it. It's possible to look and not see. Jesus said, people have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Why? Because they haven't opened their eyes and their heart and their minds, their hands to God. He wants to put something in you that will help you thrive and grow. Are you ready and willing to receive it? So the mission of every church is equipping people to thrive and grow in Christ. That's it. It's that simple. All the fancy mission statements, you can take every mission statement from every church in San Diego, Southern California, California, the United States, and the world. Put them all in a, in a, in a box, shake them up, and you can stick your hand in and pull out that mission statement. And But for the wordage... The word wordsmithing, it's the same mission statement. We want people to thrive and grow in Christ because that's why they were created and that's why they're being saved. And it will make everything about their life way better and more meaningful. Every single role they play, every single commitment they make, every single thing they do will have more life attached to it because of that. <clears throat> we call it equipping everyday people to walk with Jesus every day. We try to, I try to think of a memorable way To put it into words that somebody could say, oh, it's not cute, not that that's trite or that's that's cute, but rather, oh, that's helpful. Equipping everyday people to walk with Jesus every day. It's people in every age and stage of life simply becoming themselves in Christ. Just being you in Christ. I keep saying this. Just being you in Christ is enough. It's what the world needs. People who are alive. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Just focus on being alive in Christ and whatever you do will be enough. If you get into medical school, if you don't get into medical school, if you qualify for this certification or you don't qualify for that certification, if you make this switch money, if you don't, if you have this zip code or that one, it, it, it matters in the moment, but over time, nothing matters more than are you thriving and growing in life? And when you show up, are you the life of the party? Not because you're loud and obnoxious and draw all the attention to yourself, but you're the life of the party because when you, you encounter people, they just feel somehow more alive. What is it about her? is she just wildly funny the best story always doing a can you top this with you no she just is present and she just makes me feel more alive how i don't know she asks questions about me she seems to care about me she's okay just being quiet what's why what's why is he this dominant force in your life he's telling you always what to do he controls you no he just somehow brings a sense of hope with him he just makes me a, a better version of me what what do they do what does he do he just shows up. I can point to certain things, things he said, things I've done. He helped me through this. He one time out of the blue, I was going on and on about something, and he said, "Do you want, you want to change?" And I realized I didn't want to change. I just like moaning and groaning. <laughs> Another time, he was asking me why I was so stressed, and I told him I, I needed 200 bucks, and he pulled out 200 bucks, and said, "Is this enough?" And he and said, "Yeah. Wow. Jesus said it this way, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, he didn't say this sneering. (laughs) Apart from me, you can't do anything. Just go ahead and break up with me. See how far you go. You know, it's not one of those things. It's not sneering. It's smiling. Hey, you know what? Um, I'm the vine, you're the branch. Hang with me. And we're going to bear a lot of fruit. If not... I don't think there's much fruit in your future. You see the difference? Not this sneering, demeaning. Apart from me, you can't do anything. But more like, hey, you know, I've got what you need. Would you like it? That's why Paul wrote to the Colossians, small place in small, beautiful part of Turkey. All Turkey is actually beautiful. A very pretty place. Um, but in the interior, in the interiors, got these amazing canyons and hills and just very pretty. In small towns like like Colossae, Jesus, uh, Paul wrote to them and said, Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all of his wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Uh, Right across the water, uh, he wrote to some people in Philippi, a Roman uh, outpost in the northern part of Greece. He said, our prayer is that we'll be filled with God's love, a love that's full of knowledge and every wise insight, so that we'll reflect his highest and best. And display the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. Glorifying God and blessing people. These are thrive and grow statements. Promises. Commitments. So we help people thrive and grow by making disciples as Jesus described it. Now, when I say we're making disciples, we can't really do anything. Except for for be present uh, with Christ. With other people and say, how can I help you grow? But see, God uses us. He makes us his partners and we get to partner with other people. It's not an equal partnership. It's, if I, when I didn't know anything, and the people around me knew everything, they didn't make it feel unequal. They just felt, made me feel like, hey, we're partners in something. Let me be sure you have what you need. It was really generous. It was never competitive or comparative. It was always, hey, how's this? Try this on. And so we see in Matthew 28, Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's mine. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Disciples, learners, apprentices, people in progress, people in a process, people on their way somewhere, people who right now look the way they do, but once they're with me for a while, they're going to look way different, way better. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Obey. We think of it as a, a word of, of, of control. Command. Obey me. Obey. Just o- obedire. It's Latin. Listen to me. Akuo in Greek. Listen. Just keep listening to me. It's going to go really well. Just keep listening. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, the big rubric, I mean the overarching sort of approach our church functions under is not the one that often, I, I've heard fellow pastors say, well, you know, you know, the way the church is is I'm the shepherd, you're, you're the sheep, I'll always be the shepherd, you'll always be the sheep. And they took that they take that good shepherd uh, metaphor, parable um, analogy from Jesus, I'm the shepherd of the sheep, I'm the good shepherd, I protect the sheep, etc. And they apply it to, to, to the church, which is an incorrect application. It's well-intended, because it's meant to be, I'm here for you, I'll lay down my life for you. Uh, a good teacher would say, whatever it takes, we're going to get there. Uh, when our youngest daughter was at Bishop's School, it was amazing. The teachers would say, uh, here's every number I have, call any of them, fax at the time, text, email, I want to help you any way I can as we, as we jump into algebra, history, whatever. It took a while, it takes a while for every kid to go, are you sure they really mean that? Especially kids from from schools where the teachers were overwhelmed and had no time for you. Hey, can I call you? personally? I can't have that. All of a sudden you have a school where they're saying, call me, text me, email me. I want to be available to you. I have boundaries. If I, if I can't talk, I'll tell you, I can't talk. I can say yes, I can say no, but I'm here to help you learn. And so here's the rubric. It's not, I'm, I'm the shepherd, you're the sheep. I'll always be the shepherd. You'll always be the sheep. It's this. Paul writing to the Ephesians uh, another town, more, more now on the coast of Turkey. The second largest, most imp- impressive place outside of Rome in the Roman Empire. And he says this, to each one of us, to all of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. He's giving us what we need. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. He's raised up all these partners to equip you to get you, to give you what you need, to make you full partners in this movement of God's spirit alive and at work in the world. What a rubric that is. You're all part of it. You're all partners in this enterprise that God himself has initiated. In this crazy, mixed-up way, you start as a sheep. You become a shepherd. It's possible. To each one of us, to equip his people for works of service, to do what you were created to do. What is your work of service? It covers the gamut. It could be a compassionate, merciful act. It could be just simply doing your professional work in a way that is so filled with integrity and, and, and Unimpeachable character that people say, I've never worked with a financial planner like you before, or an attorney like you, a physician like you. I come in here, I don't just get eight and a half minutes of your time, I get your full attention, and you seem to care about me. The teacher who says, you know, I've got to talk to you about your, your study habits, they're going to hold you back. Hard conversation. The contractor says, I will be on time, and we'll get the job done on budget. You're thinking, where do these people come from? Why aren't there more of them? You see, it's a work of ministry and service that this person is executing under the auspices of having been filled with the grace of God. Does this make sense to you? Of course it does, because you're doing it. I see you doing it. In what you do, you bring this with you where you go. That's why people scratch their head a little bit and say, why aren't there more people like you? And in full humility, it's it's tempting to say, oh, I'm not that big of a deal. you You just dismiss Christ. Rather say, well, wow, thanks for saying that. You know, I, I, I'm i a, a work in process, a work in progress. And it really kicked into high gear when I started walking with Christ. And if you want to talk about that, I'm glad to tell you about that. Otherwise, let's just talk about this project. But all of a sudden they're going, wait, 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 what's that walk with Christ stuff? You mean you're a Christian? Yeah, I don't usually say that because often it has so many other connections that people freak out when they hear the word Christian. But yeah, when when I finally said, Okay, God, I'm gonna stop running and hiding from you, my life turned around. It just changed in ways that I keep experiencing every day and I'm I feel very blessed. Makes me want to be a better contractor. All of a sudden that person says, Wow, you're not using your religion as an excuse not to do good work. Your faith propels you to do your best work. Why? Because it's a work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and grow up, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, this is what Mr. McGuire did. It turned out, I found out later, uh, subtly, as he went through uh, that semester, that Mr. McGuire actually had a faith. Because at one point in a speech, me and this other kid, Cameron Gregg, got up and we made a pitch to the group about supporting a kid through World Vision. And it was a ridiculous thought that any kid would have enough commitment to get through two weeks of support. Never mind, you know, two years. But we did this, and McGuire knew everything about it. And he he, he talked a little bit about why that's a really a good thing to do. And like, whoa, what was McGuire doing? He was preparing us so that we could be built up until we reach full maturity. That's what. A learning community does. It encourages people to step out and learn and grow. It's not threatened by people's growth. It's not threatened when somebody who is very much junior and very much dependent on that person's knowledge all of a sudden starts correcting them. Now, I think that verse you're thinking about is this. Wow. Instead of being, you know, offended, eh? Like, wow, I'm impressed. You knew that. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me. Because then, it says, we will no longer be babies, infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and then subject to being taken advantage of by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, this is what we sound like, we speak the truth in love, and we will grow to become in every respect mature, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, And we're part of this larger community that gives us uh, uh, our, our identity. We have an identity as us, but we have a larger identity as us together. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As every person lives their life, does what is now natural for them, As each part does its work, I really like that, don't you? I want to be part of that kind of people, that kind of body, when everybody's doing their work. Have you been on teams and everybody's giving it their best? It it feels like you're not even working. It feels so fun. It's like you have the wind to your back. It's like when the boat is perfectly trimmed up and, and you're just flying along. And the wind is actually coming towards you and you're flying along. And, and you're so confident because it's all working. You throw up um, an even bigger sail, a spinnaker, and it just the boat just takes off. Now you're on top of the waves, not through them, and it's just powerful. This is what it feels like to be part of that kind of body. And we'll never be fully mature without Christ and people. No one will, no one can. And it's called basic discipleship. Discipleship. Being trained in a discipline or body of knowledge. We don't use that term outside of church nowadays. But every, every serious athlete is a disciple. Every serious kid playing chess with Mike Hedman is a disciple of chess. Now we don't use the word because it now is reserved, it seems like, only for religious meetings. But in, in the day when this was used of Jesus' disciples, it just meant a learner, a student, an apprentice, a person on their way. A person mastering content and some discipline and skills. And see, no one knows their highest potential, right? No first grader knows their highest potential. No second grader, until they get serious about life, knows their fullest potential. Why? Because it takes discipline, practice, and somebody needs to help draw it out of us. That's why coaches and teachers are absolutely essential. I love that bumper sticker that says, if you can read this, uh, thank a teacher. I think it's only half right. I got No offense to any teachers here. I think it really should say, if you can read this, thank your mother. Because pretty much everybody's mom teaches them how to read before they get to school um, one way or the other, right? And teachers refine it. See, we can make progress on our own, but we need help fulfilling our highest potential. Nobody can fulfill it on their own. No one. You can't become a high-end surgeon on your own. You can't become a high-end pilot on your own. You can't become the greatest preschool teacher of all time on your own. So imagine having the best person in the world teaching you to do what they do. You get a call from Wolfgang Puck. He says, hey, come on up to LA. I'd like to cook with you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, should we boil water or what? What do you think we should do? You know? And you go, come on, look, I really don't know how to cook. That's fine. I'm the right guy then. I do. Come on up. Uh, and so like the disciples, we must go to school with Jesus. Uh, good process leads to good progress. And uh, that's true for all disciples, including you. Making progress in faith is intentional. You do it on purpose. If you're not doing it on purpose, you won't, you won't have it. You won't develop it. Well, I've been going to church 20 years. Right. You've been attending 20 years. You've never actually entered into the community. Some of you have been playing guitar for 30 years and you know three chords and you're frustrated. I'd like you to talk to Craig after the service. And Craig will help you move beyond that block, that barrier. So let me give you five quick reasons why we embrace discipleship as essential for maturity. First, discipleship is close and personal. It's not impersonal and distant. You can't be a disciple of Jesus from a distance. He gives you full access. He's not a force. He's a person. Not a person like you and me but a person, a personality. There's no such thing as the force be with you. It's are you with God or are you not with God? It's not a force. It's God personally inviting people to stop hiding in the shadows. Why are you hiding? I'm naked and ashamed. Well then, when you're tired of being naked and ashamed, come on out and we'll learn and we'll grow. We'll thrive. We'll go somewhere that's really good. But as long as you want to stay in that shame place, there's not much I can do for you. But I'm going to stand here and wait patiently until you're ready to come out. Secondly, discipleship is therefore relational. It's knowing God and people personally and functionally. Functionally means you know stuff about them. And not just stuff about them, but you know them. Because you can ask them questions and get more information. You can fill in the blanks. Hey, I've been thinking about this, that thing you said. What about this? Oh, yeah, Good question. You keep the conversation going. It's personal. Sometimes scary close personal. You want to have a friend? Be a friend. Spend time with people. You can't do it from a distance. And once you get close, uh, you can be at the mall and be close to people. It's not until you get personal that it really comes alive. A daughter, uh, Megan, and her husband, Nick, are in the UK. They're going to be there for the next year plus. Um, And... uh, they're moving into their new little flat there in the a small town where they live, and the lock failed. So they couldn't, they had their key, but the lock failed, and they couldn't get in. And so it's, it's nighttime, and they're trying to figure out, what do we do? And they called the property management people, finally got them on it, and they said, yeah, well, we can have a locksmith out there at 1.30 in the morning. So they're in this small town, so they walk down to, all the restaurants are closing, so they walk to this bar, and they're in this Pub, and, and the guys, guy's talking, hey, who are you from America? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. And just, yeah, well, we're here because we got locked out of our flat. Oh, you need to charge your phones? Sure, yeah. What else do you need? All of a sudden, they're in this relationship, and they walked out of that place, you know, you know six, eight blocks back to their flat, saying, uh, wow, that's like we have a friend now. That was just a place with people, and now we have some relationships there, the beginning of those they'll build on them. So it's it's close and personal, it's relational, it's content-rich. Discipleship is content-rich. The Word of God and the Spirit of God form us. We embrace good content wherever we see it, wherever we see it. Wherever you see good content, you say, I'm going to claim that for Christ, because ultimately Christ is the source of that good content. See, somebody might say, well, I believe this, and we have some really good ideas and views. And you look at the stuff they believe, and you go, wow, there's some great stuff here. Do you know where it's from? Yeah, it's from this organization. Actually, it's from God. And they've taken some bits and pieces of it, but here's the source, and here's the one who stands behind it. I love the way here in 2 Corinthians, Paul says in chapter 10, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We have better knowledge than God. Sorry, that does not happen. You have better knowledge than me, probably, but nobody has better knowledge than God. And so he says to the people, therefore, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So when I'm reading some philosophy or ideology somewhere and I see something, they go, oh, my gosh. The typical argument is, oh, well, see, everybody believes this stuff, so it's not really unique to you knowing God. No, no. Everybody knows this stuff because God's put it in their heart. And people want God on their terms, and why don't we reclaim that and come bring it captive under Christ? So I'm not afraid of any ideas, even if they're good ideas from a bad source or a questionable source. I'm saying the idea is good. Let's claim it and put it properly in context. It's the Lord who's going to make this happen. Let, let that sink in and give some thought to that. Don't be so defended about every idea that you go, if it's not the Bible, I'm not buying it. Look at every idea and say, wow. Does this correspond to what I see in Scripture? If so, let's bring it captive to Christ. If not, let's recognize it for what it is. It's a head fake. It's content rich, right? Fourth, discipleship is skill-based. It's skill-based. You actually can do stuff with it. It's functional. It's not theoretical, conceptual, abstract. It's actually concrete and practical and functional and essential for life well-lived. It's the best way to build strong people, strong friendships, strong marriages, strong families, strong communities, strong businesses, strong organizations, strong countries, strong cultures. And by strong, I mean resilient, resourceful, humble. And therefore, the fifth thing discipleship shapes character. We've done this whole series on, on living a virtuous life this summer. This is the intro to what's coming next thriving and growing. Because of that. So discipleship ultimately shapes our character, love, compassion, righteousness, mercy, courage, humility, resilience, wisdom, resourcefulness, discipline, joy, generosity. It's a powerful process of information and formation and transformation. I want to unpack those today, but just think about that. Information is content. Formation is actually working it into your being. And the transformation is what comes out of that. So the church is always about good information, accessible A process of applying it and trying it on and seeing what it looks like in real life, in your life. And over time, seeing the powerful impact it makes in you and through you. Information, formation, transformation. So let me wrap up by saying this fall, we're going to be digging into 10 core practices for thriving and growing. 10 core practices for thriving and growing. It's discipleship 101 or graduate level PhD discipleship. Wherever you are in the process, it's for you. It will look familiar, sound familiar, you'll see the topics, you go, oh, I know about this. Think again, because at this stage in your life, there's maybe more you wanna know and and more you can do with it, right? The Bible is accessible to everybody from the tiniest tot uh, to the the sagest person uh, on the planet. We're gonna dig into these 10 core practices to becoming thriving, growing disciples. And so basically our assignment is that we go to school with Jesus uh, to reflect and to, and to you know, pray and to do. To reflect, wow, what is it I'm, I'm hearing and learning? What am I feeling about that? What is it conjuring up in me? What is it challenging in me? How is it comforting me? How is it confronting me? The prayer is the ongoing conversation we have during that process. Lord, what's going on here? What do I need to learn here? What do I need to pay attention to? What do, what do I need to let go of? What should I repent of, turn my back on, and what do I need to turn my, What should I turn my face to? And then the doing, right? Is where do I go with this? Is it just an interesting feature that I leave at church and come back and pick it up next week? Or do I take it with me and actually apply it? Why are we doing this? Because we want this church to fulfill its mission as a staff, as a board, as a congregation. This church exists to be a thriving and growing community in Christ. And so God gives us a core of leaders uh, who on behalf of the congregation put the framework together, the structure, and, and facilitate that process. And of course, the congregation is constantly coming in to be either a staff person or a, a, a trustee, a board person, or, or out going out to their ministry beyond the walls of the church. But you see, for us to reach our fullest potential, we need staff people who are alive in Christ, connected to trustees who are alive in Christ, connected to a body of Christ alive in Christ. Those staff and trustees support the, co- the body, the congregation, in growing in its capacity to experience Christ. It's not about them, it's about Christ, but they are used by Christ to do that. We want to go deeper in that regard as a church. That's always been our our call. We started this church 16 years ago on 9-11. 9-11, 2005 is when this church launched. And our mission hasn't changed. We just had seasons where we've been better or worse at achieving it. Distracted or focused. And right now, as you know, it's a challenging time for churches. A very, very, very challenging time for churches. Churches are shutting their doors, Uh, pastors are walking away. That's always been the case, but it's happening in an accelerated manner right now. But guess what? Churches thrive and grow during challenging times. That's what churches are made for. It'd be ridiculous if if the the alarm went off at the fire station. they go, oh, don't go out there, it's a fire. You go, but that's what we exist to do. The church is made for challenges. And this requires thoughtful, prayerful, self-assessment, planning, and action on your part. Where are you? Who are you? That's not a guilt-shaming technique. Who are you? Who do you think you are? Rather, where are you? Where are you right now? You maybe have come into a new stage of your life going, I'm not quite sure what this is going to look like. It's new to me. I've never been a parent before. I just got married or just graduated from college or just got accepted to college. Uh, I'm an empty nester. Uh, I lost my spouse. I mean, whatever the issue might be for you. New age, new stage for everybody in some way. So you need to be thoughtful, prayerful. Do some self-assessment, planning. Take some action. Why? Because growing people produce healthy churches, and healthy churches produce growing people. If we want this church to thrive and grow, we've got to be people who are learning how to thrive and grow. And as we thrive and grow, the church becomes a thriving and growing church, which in turn helps more people thrive and grow. Are you willing to commit time, energy, and money in growing your faith this fall? What is your plan, and who are your partners? We'll help you sort that out. Don't dawdle, don't delay, but commit. And finally, I'm asking you to pray As we are in this process, we've raised the funding uh, for an associate pastor. We desperately need an associate pastor. Why? Because you can't grow unless you can support growth. Uh, We we uh, COVID has made it crazy to be a church anyway, but we uh, we're, we're filling our pipeline so that when COVID is diminishing, we'll be increasing, and we need an associate pastor. Uh, for a bunch of reasons, you know, just to, just to grow our church. And then at some point, um, we want to expand our church, and we want to uh, allow some, uh, you know, new faces to emerge in our church over the next couple of years. So right now, though, the immediate task is that we're in a full search. We've seen uh, several dozen uh, r- resumes come through, and um, we just haven't felt like any of them are really what we need. This is common. If you've ever done any kind of executive search, you know that's the case. Good people, uh, not the right fit for where we are, what we do, and what we're trying to do. So we need this congregation to be praying emphatically for this process. We have the funding. Many of you have already committed the funding. We haven't asked for the funding, literally, until we have the AP. But we have the funding so that we can say to this person, we're not just calling you to serve here and then we have no idea how to fund you. Uh, but, but now that we've got the funding in, in, in place, we really, really, really need to be praying, Lord, bring this associate pastor, a person who will work with me and Mary and the staff to, to continue to, to grow and, and to support growth. Uh, this is very important. Right now, we are so, we're just limping along. COVID has made that a, 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 a fact. But also, if COVID went away, we're just understaffed to be able to properly support the growth of the congregation. So please be praying. Uh, your prayer is essential. And uh, I want to pray for you right now um, uh, as we take a time of offering. The band's going to come up and, and lead us to some music. And uh, if you want to give in terms of financial giving, uh, there's all kinds of ways to give to the church online, offline. Just some boxes you can make contributions in, uh, mail it in, however you want. We, we absolutely we, we, we desperately exist on the giving of God's people. But this offering time is more than money. It's about you giving you to the Lord. It's you opening your heart, your hands, your mind to the Lord. So I want to pray for you as we do that. Lord Jesus, I pray for this congregation, these men, these women, these brothers and sisters in Christ. Some who are here wondering where you fit in their life, whether or not they should trust you. Others, having walked with you for a lifetime, absolutely confident that you are who you say you are and you will do what you say you can do. Lord, I pray for every one of us, no matter where we are in our faith journey, that you would meet us there, that you would speak to the most inner needs in our hearts and souls, that you'd revive our spirits, that we'd be part of a renewal and a revival of people in your name that would not only sweep this congregation, but, but quickly overflow and, and, and be part of the revival and the renewal. We pray for this community in every church. Catholic, Protestant, independent, denominational. Lord, where every people name you as Lord and Savior and call you um, their king, we pray that revival and renewal would, would come forth. That in times like this, we desperately need um, your spirit to flood us, to flood this nation. Lord, we are a blessed and corrupted people. We have compromised at every turn. Our intentions are so good our expectations are so high, and yet we've, we've built such a shaky foundation for ourselves in families, in homes, um, in, in, in every single way, Lord. We've tried to take a shortcut around you, and it's hurting us badly. So, Lord, we pray that you'd revive and renew people at every level of leadership. We pray that you'd give people integrity and character because they're opening their hearts and minds to you. No matter what political stripe, no matter what ideological bent, we pray, Lord, that people would be curious and hungry and thirsty for you, turning their hearts toward you, and through you, turning their hearts toward home. That these communities would be alive, uh, not with superficial agreement about important things, but a passion, a, a, a deep, demonstrated commitment to stand together to get it right. Lord, when 911 happened, it was horrible, and yet there's a unity of purpose that swept this nation in a way that galvanized us. And Lord, we pray that beyond a tragedy and a crisis, we would have that, because your spirit is moving through people who are tired of the same old, same old and are ready for more, that we could be a positive force for good, Democrats and Republicans, rich and poor, young and old, that no categories that we impose on ourselves or one another would be adequate to describe the work of your spirit and your people. Now as we celebrate, Lord, the 16th anniversary of this church, we thank you for your goodness to it, for the sacrificial generosity of so many people who brought us to this place. We pray that you'd continue to raise up people whose sacrificial generosity extends to loving one another with your love. Practicing hospitality and acts of mercy and compassion. We thank you for what we've seen, which gives us confidence to pray for more. And so that's our prayer, Lord Jesus. Together as your people, we pray this in your holy, holy name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together, shall we?
0: But
3: Called, you be equipped, you be commissioned, but nothing will shake you. Nothing will shake you from your intended purpose to be alive in Christ, to thrive and flourish and grow in Him. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord, who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine, give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, starting today, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Now let's go have a great celebration out on the lawn.